listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, as we continue on here in our series on the Ten Commandments and, and the series called And God Spoke. And these are important words that God is speaking to his children. And so, Exodus 20, and if you need a Bible, if you would like to um, borrow a Bible or take that home with you, the ushers have Bibles that they're handing out, would love for you to follow along so that the things that we talk about here today, you could actually see, he's not making this stuff up, this stuff is in the Word of God, and God's Word is amazing, and there are truths for it to, for us to be able to uncover and discover here on Sundays and for, um, for our lives throughout the course of the week even, and so encourage you to be in God's Word this morning here along with us throughout the course of this week. You know, you can go online these days and you can buy virtually anything and you can have it delivered to your house within a day or sometimes, depending where you're ordering it from, it may take weeks and weeks and weeks. And if you don't find what you exactly like, and and you don't necessarily need to pay full price, you can get some pretty good deals when you buy online. And sometimes, though, you might find that if you buy a, a knockoff, from especially China, it seems there's a good uh, array of uh, merchandise there that can be bought, a knockoff or a counterfeit or a fake, that, that you can get those kind of items for a fraction of the real deal. And, but one thing that you need to be forewarned of is when you do this, and I don't know if any of you have ever done this, you end up finding out that some things aren't maybe quite what you expected when you end up getting them. Here's some examples of what some people got when they ordered some, uh, a jersey online. Um, yeah, if, if you know sporting goods, well, there's a major spelling mistake there in, in that nice little uh, jersey or, or a bag that someone bought. Or how about this one? Uh, instead of PlayStation, PolyStation, you know? And so, yeah, it just kind of messed up a little bit on the word. Not sure, sure if the component was kind of messed up, but I really like this one. At least this retailer somewhere, we're not sure, um, actually had a very, you know, they were very upfront, genuine fake watches. Isn't that just a great way? I mean, you know, like, hey, we're selling fakes here. Come help yourself. Hopefully we have something for you, you know, and so we see these kind of things and, and uh, we get a little bit of a chuckle about it. Or you can even take it uh, maybe even a step further. Personally, we have a relative on Charlotte's side, um, a, a sister-in-law of ours that has relatives who were, got this fancy printer a number of years ago, and, and um, you know, one of these fancy inkjet kind of colored printers, and so they thought, hey, when we play Monopoly, we should, you know, let's print off real money, and, and let's see what it goes like. Well, they got it looking so good, they actually tried to pass off some of that money at certain stores. Yeah, if you try to pass off counterfeits or fakes, you better watch out, and they found out that that sort of thing is rather frowned upon by our authorities. We have to ask ourselves the question in life, are we willing, are we ready to count the cost by settling for counterfeits and fakes? Sure, when it comes to merchandise, you might get something that's cheaper, that's almost the same as the real thing, but in the end, you find out it's not the real thing. The same is true when it comes to our worship of God. Either we can go for the genuine worship of God, or we can settle for counterfeits and fake worship. Today we're continuing on here in the Ten Commandments on commandment number two, and where God is telling his people, 
you want to just even write down, encourage you to be writing in your Bibles and to be write, underlining things in the Bible as we go through, as well as in, in a notebook or else on those connection cards that you were given. And, and basically what you hear God saying here today, no counterfeits, no fakes. No counterfeits, no fakes. And so today we're going to pick it up as was already read, but I'd love to read it one more time because it is the mighty word of God, uh, this passage that we're going to look at here today. Exodus 20, starting at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No counterfeits, no fakes, no shortcuts is what this is saying. Verse 5. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the first commandment, and, and here's, we'll put this up on the screen here for you to be able to even write this down. The first commandment, as we talked about it last week, you shall worship only the true God. Good summary of what we talked about last week. You shall worship only the true God. But the second commandment here is you shall worship the true God in the right way. There's a right way to worship God. There is a wrong way that we can worship God. The wrong way will lead to idolatry and to, um, to, to trouble and to disaster in our lives, for our families, and beyond. No images, no fakes, no shortcuts. And the first thing we see here in this passage and in verse 4 is idols are closer than you may think. Idols are closer than you think. And they certainly were for the children of Israel. You shall not, shall not make for yourself a carved image or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is on the water or under the earth. This commandment forbids the making of any sort of object to be used as an aid in worship of God. It is wrong to worship these objects, these foreign objects. Now let's just remember kind of the setting of what's going on here. The nature of God's gracious commandments that are coming down here to the children on this day. God has gathered his people at the base of Mount Sinai. He's, he's told, told Moses, put a line kind of in the sand or in the rock. Like, don't let them cross a certain, certain place here. But even, we even have a picture of, what that, that, of where Mount Sinai is today. And so God gathers his people. You can put that picture up. And, and they hear this thundering voice of God speaking to them. They hear God in an audible voice speaking these Ten Commandments. And he starts out by those powerful words as we talked about last week. I am your God. I've brought you out of slavery. This is God's love being poured down to the people here. I brought you out of slavery. And now he gives them these Ten Commandments. These are God's words of grace to his people. This is his love rolling down the mountain and giving them instructions on how to live and how to enjoy a relationship with God. But as you continue on, you look at chapters 21 and to 23 and encourage you even to be flipping through these in the Bible to, to see that this is what's going on here. God then continues on in these next few chapters to give Moses some, of, some civic laws. He's outlining how they were to get along with other people. 
how they were to do life together, in a sense, is what God gives here in these laws to the people. And just some instructions for when this happens, here, do this. Then in chapter 24, Moses confirms and repeats the law before the people. And look at what he even says in in chapter 24, verse 3. As he gives out the law to the people, reminds them of this. In verse 3, it says, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. The people are saying, we're in. Yes, we'll do it. whatever, Whatever God says, we're in, Moses. Count on us. We're there for you. We're going to follow this one through. And so then Moses, as you continue on to read there, he builds an altar. And he builds these 12 pillars that go along with this, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they burn a sacrifice of an oxen or a bull. They put on the fire there and, and they burn that. And he takes half of the blood from the bull and he, 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 he throws it against the altar. What a dramatic scene this is. And then he reads to them the law again. And in... in Chapter 24, verse 7, as he reads this, they again say, we will be obedient. We're going to follow through with this, Dave, this Moses. And, and then, this is where it gets even more interesting. I mean, God's word is pretty graphic and it's pretty eye-opening. At this point, he takes the other half of the blood that he didn't splash against the altar, and he, he takes and he throws it on the people. He sprinkles them with blood, in a sense, making even a further covenant with the people. This is serious. This is a covenant that is even sprinkled in blood. Amazing scene going here. And then Moses turns around and he goes up the mountain. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights in the cloud and in, in, in the pillar of, or in the glow of the light that he is there with God receiving further instructions. And you can see in the chapters following the instructions that God gives to Moses while he's up in the mountain. Now, you would think the people, I mean, they were trembling. They were in awe. This is like amazing stuff that is going on. And you would kind of think that they're like, oh, man, that was awesome. Let's, let's stay. Hey, come on. let, let Let's, let's follow through on this. You know, keep, let's stay accountable here, folks. Let's keep going on this. I mean, hearing the voice of God. They heard his voice. Giving the Ten Commandments. The glow of those moments would be forever entrenched in their minds. And idolatry, you would think, would be the furthest and the last thing that would ever come to their even thinking, let alone their actions. But then when you flip over to chapter 32... We see that when Moses, it says, the people kind of seem to think, well, he's a little slow in returning. He's been up there for quite a, quite a little while. Like, did he forget about us? I mean, we're out here just sitting in the wilderness. Where is he? He's our leader. Who, who's here to protect us? There's Aaron, but, you know, I mean, that's Aaron. You know, he's not Moses. And, and, and what's going on here? And, and so then they go to Aaron, and, and there's some concern about what's taking place here. And, and, and so they started to question, and you know, what happened to Moses? And then they say, hey, Aaron, why didn't you make a God for us? And Aaron, wanting to be liked, not being a strong leader here in this situation at all, he's like, okay, take off your earrings, your rings, bring your items of gold. And, and so people do this, and, 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 and they throw them in the fire, and he carves out this image of a golden calf. And he sculpts it into the making of this golden calf. And he makes this image. Something directly that God had told them not to do, they do it. And then Aaron says these words. He says, these are your gods that brought you up out of Egypt. And then he proclaimed a festival for the next day. Not to these gods, but for the Lord. He says, we're going to have a celebration for the Lord 
tomorrow. So get ready. Let's party. Let's celebrate. And, and, and so what they were doing is they were using the golden calf as a figure, as an object for the worship of God. Something God very directly for, for, forbade them to do. And yet they went ahead and they did it. You see, they were worshiping, as we'll see in that festival, the right God. But they were worshiping him wrongly. Which led them into idolatry. They were worshiping a created thing, the golden calf, and not the creator God. And that, folks, is idolatry. We see in chapter 32, verse 6. We see what it leads to. So after they have, a, there's a sacrifice that day and there's this festival for the Lord. It says, the people then sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now they didn't rise up to play like, you know, a game of flag football or, you know, soccer or anything like that. What it means here when they rose up to play was pagan celebrations, including sexual immorality. So they rose up, party takes place, Orgy starts to happen. I mean, this makes no sense. But folks, for centuries and even today, we see how we are prone to use figures and objects, whether physical or even just in our minds, as aids for worship for God, which is idolatry that can lead us down a very dangerous path. Idols are closer than you may think. It was for Israel I mean, just weeks after this powerful encounter with God, they turned to this. I mean, what were they thinking? Have you ever done that in your own life? After making a commitment or a recommitment or, you know, a really covenanting before the Lord about a certain area and within hours or days or weeks, you're doing the very same thing that you said you would never do again? Now, they never outrightly, the children of Israel here in this situation and even throughout their history, it wasn't like they they fully rejected God. They just decided to add some other practices, some other pagan practices and rituals to kind of bless their life and, and to kind of adapt to what was going on around them. They adapted to their culture when God explicitly said, don't do that. And this eventually caused them, over the centuries, we end up seeing that they are taken out of the promised land into exile into captivity. Idolatry, though, even in current days, even this day, has been a sin in the church, has been for centuries, and is a major struggle and something we have to be so aware of even today. Idols are closer than we may think. Worshiping the right God in the wrong way. And it can happen to us today. Here's, I'm going to give you some, some ways that, that this can happen, but, but here, here's one, for example, is when we limit God in our thinking and in our worship through the things we read or just our, our own understanding of God. It's kind of like, I like a God who, and, and we go on from there, and we, we kind of come up with our own understanding of who we think God is. Take, for example, I like the God who is a loving father and And yes, we see God described in the word of God as our heavenly father. But we stay there and we get that image in our mind. And so if I was to ask 
probably, if we were to have a little, you know, a time out in the service, and I just went, or we took a straw poll and, and found out, when you think of an image of God, what image right away comes to mind? For most of us, it's probably going to be what? A guy in a, in a white gown with a what color beard? White beard, white hair, you know, gentle smile about him. White, of course, you know, for where we live, you know, we put God into our own image. And, 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 and we come up with these ideas and these concepts of God and, and that all he just wants to do and all that he is, he just wants, to, wants you to sit on his lap and just be there forever and just to enjoy this loving Heavenly Father. Now, as I said, that there is a correct understanding that God is like our Heavenly Father, but he's very, very clear in his word about this and what this can lead to. There's a danger that if we only hold on to this singular image of God, because it's the one we like and it's one that makes us feel good, um, that, that he is just this smiley, loving God, we diminish him. Listen to the warning in Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can write that down. You may want to flip there right away. I'm going to read that right away. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Because here we hear this warning again. Deuteronomy 4 verse 15. Deuteronomy 4 15. Therefore watch yourselves carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb. Another name for Mount Sinai. Out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. You see, that image that we come up with God is that he's a male, but he's not. He's spirit. But we bring God and we limit him in that way. And see, the danger of this kind of thing, in this kind of thinking, is, is we, we just take that certain snapshot of God that we see in God's word. But it limits who God is. It obscures his glory. It reveals some aspects, but not all aspects of God. He's neither male or female. If you see a kid's kind of, you know, a little picture story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and they put, you know, this, this guy walking with them, it's inaccurate. That's, that's not right. Because God, that's not the image that God gives us in the word of God. That's the image that we make and we want to hold on to. You see, we also have to be so aware, yes, he is a loving father, but he's also a judge. He's a consuming fire, we see. There's dozens upon dozens of titles and attributes of God that help to describe him other than him being our loving heavenly father. He's a consuming fire, the king, a lawgiver, a shepherd. We also see another attribute about him. We're going to look in a few moments. He's jealous. He's a jealous God. And so we have to be careful we don't limit him in our understanding. That we bring down this God and this understanding of, of who he is and, and just make it fit into our own theology and our own belief. That's very, very dangerous. You can't fully understand, folks, the love of God without understanding the wrath of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, the transcendence of God. Let's not limit him. We can do that so easily. You see, oh, you said, but, but okay, but, but I mean, what's really wrong with Let's for the moment, let's just back to Exodus here and, and just thinking about, you know, good old Aaron and, and the Israelites there. And, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's, let's you know what, um, 
let's cut them a little bit of slack here, okay? Because, you know, Israel could have thought, and the reason why they did this golden calf thing was, was you know, well, what's really wrong with it? I mean, the calf, especially a, a bull calf, you know, it's, it's a symbol, symbol of power. It's power, and, you know, like, y- y- you take a bull. I mean, you don't want to necessarily take a bull on, do you, with the snot snorting and everything, and it, you get that bull going, and, and, and it's power, and, and you better be careful. But it's like, it's like with that bull snorting power that, that God delivered us out of, uh, out of Egypt, you know, through, you know, we went through the Red Sea. That was pretty amazing, you know. And so, so perhaps their worship is like, yeah, our God is like bull strength power. That's what he's doing here. And, and so here we see a powerful God. And, and, and so perhaps they're worshiping him in, in this kind of a way. Yet it's incomplete. It's inaccurate. You see, a bull in that way can represent power in the power of God. But a bull doesn't represent God's gentleness and his loving grace and his moral excellence and his loyalty. And you see, what this ends up doing is this leads to idolatry, which leads Israel astray. And it leads them astray quickly. Because here's something that becomes a reality, and this is where we have to take note might want to write this down. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. What we worship eventually controls us. Whether that is money, possessions, sex, sports, image, reputation, knowledge. The end of all of this is disastrous. When I was in sales a number of years ago, I was talking to a, a guy who had started a, a, a fitness center. He was a, a fitness coach, and he, he came up with the name for his, his, his company. It was called Addicted to Fit, Fitness. He told me, he says, that was the biggest mistake to give it that name, Addicted to, fit, to Fitness, because it brought out all the crazies in our city who are addicted to fitness. We're going to go, and we're going. And he's like, I couldn't even put, like, these people were just, like, on a drill because they were just so controlled by it. And when we worship something, we become like it. It starts to control us. We, we, every decision we make is based on the God that we are worshiping. And it can even be good things. We can worship our children. And we, we value them so much. And we are to love them. But sometimes if we worship them, we may not also discipline them in the way that we ought to discipline them. We have to be so careful that good things can become God things which lead to dangerous, dangerous things in our lives. And so we see this for the children of Israel, the orgy that started there at this festival as they worshipped around this golden calf. They were simply just reflecting the dominating virility of the sexual power of a bull. You just have to go to a farm where there's a bull and where there's some, some cows and you'll see, well, you'll see, explain that to young children for the first time. We become what we worship. Quickly this morning, I want to share with you just a number of other areas, just, just, just a number of things that, that um, this list could be a lot longer, but here are some things that, some good things 
that can become God things. And some of these might be rather surprising. Take note. There's much at stake here with this. First one, a good thing that become a God thing but can lead to idolatry, worship. Worship. What we do here on a Sunday morning, the songs that we download, the concerts we go to, we can actually start worshiping worship. If we're not careful, we can actually start loving worship more than God. Even though we are singing about God, he is to be the object of our worship. But if we're not careful, we can start worshiping this worship. And when we worship, when worship becomes about the mood, about the atmosphere, the melody, the style, the crowd, the emotion, your favorite worship leader, your favorite band, the performance that they've put on, it just gives me goosebumps. You know, and are we worshiping? Are we being moved by the right things? Is our worship that of emotion? Is it of the melody that, that's being performed? You see, we can become more enamored with the gifts and the talents of God's people more than the creator of all things. And that's idolatry. The true worshiper learns to sing and worship God through the storms, throughout the course of the week, and cry out to God in the confusion of life. A true worshiper knows how to, to scour through the scriptures on a daily basis for daily bread and worship God through the word of God. It doesn't have to be just in a certain way with a certain song and by a certain band. True worshiper knows how to pray and to seek God in the quiet place. A true worshiper isn't just moved by powerful music. They are moved by the weight of God's glory. They're, they're hushed by the magnitude of his presence. Brought to tears over his amazing grace. This is how we are moved in worship. Not by the song. Not by the melody. Here's something else that we can. A good thing that became a God thing. And that is a building or architecture. You walk into a beautiful church building. And, and if you maybe have ever said. Or you hear someone say. Wow. I just feel closer to God here. We certainly don't here. I mean, there's, it's really, there's no stained glass. There's, you know, really no great architecture. Uh, there's really poor lighting. Um, you know, that doesn't work here. But when you walk into a cathedral, you walk into, my uncle is a pastor in a church in Chicago that is, it, it's over 100 years old, I believe. Maybe it's not quite 100 yet, but it's grand. And the architecture and the stained glass is amazing. But when we say, oh, I feel so much closer to God here than I do over there. Folks, that's idolatry. Because a building can't get you any closer to God than Jesus has already gotten you. You don't need a building. You can appreciate a structure and the architecture and, and give thanks to God. And when these buildings were built, when, when these cathedrals and these churches, many of them were built over the years, they put in the cornerstone to the glory of God, not to the glory of man. But somehow, as we take and time goes on, if we don't keep giving our glory to God, we start giving glory to the buildings and we start worshiping architecture and feel closer to God. Acts 7 and in chapter 17 says, God doesn't dwell doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. 1 Corinthians 6.19, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, God is resident in you. Worship him. 
We don't worship worship. We don't need to worship buildings. We worship Jesus. First, or, or Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. You, know, you want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus. Where do we find Jesus? In the word of God. You want to know what God looks like? We look to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, or, or even in John chapter 14, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man. It's not a building. It's not a worship leader. A worship leader cannot usher you into the presence of God. We go directly to Jesus, to our words, to our actions, to our plea and our call out to him. And so Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter, the architect of our faith. We want to worship, we go to Jesus. Someone else or other people that we can, can good things that can become God things, pastors, leaders, a mentor, an author, Sadly, we follow these people with great, great, um, great, um, with a great following or, or great commitment. And, and, and there's great preaching and there's good people to listen to and good people to read from. But, but don't set yourself up as these people as, as, as miniature gods in your life. Because you know what? They will let you down. We are not to be looking at these people. We are to be looking to him. Just even this week, I looked on my bookshelf of a, book, a number of books, and one in particular that was very instrumental in, in even as I was looking at, at the possibility of planting a church, someone told me, you've got to read this certain book about church planting, and it was about the man, the, the, the message, and the mission. Church planting, man, mission, message. And written by a very well-known, godly man. But I read this week that this pastor had a moral failure this past week and has been removed from his church. How sad is that? When we look at other people, they will disappoint us. They will. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. We worship him. We don't worship other people. Here's another thing is, Good things that can become God things which lead to bad things, and this one leads to disaster, is spiritual experiences. Spiritual experiences or, or, or emotionalism. And there's a huge push today in our Christian culture, in our churches today, to bring God near, to have some sort of emotional experience, to, to be moved in, in, in our being because of some experience that we have through worship or through some other sort of um, activity that is going on but in doing this you can open yourself up to the demonic because satan is glad to give listen satan is glad to give counterfeit signs miracles experiences emotional highs to deceive god's people and to deceive the unsaved when you see people falling backwards in some sort of unconscious state be careful dismiss that Bursting out in uncontrollable emotion, um, perhaps, or, or unable to stop themselves, just being, being, being out of control. God's word says that the Holy Spirit gives us self-control. We are never to be out of control. Whenever you see anyone falling in the word of God, you see them falling forward in, 
in very conscious repentance of their sin. Here's another thing that's becoming popular in some circles today, and I warn you of this, and, and, and this is going on. It's called grave sucking. It's where people will go to the graves of deceased saints, well-known revivalists, and suck up the anointing of the Holy Spirit into their own lives and taking some of the Holy Spirit that's in, in that person that that person had and, and take that upon their own self. It's unbiblical. It's pagan. It's not of God. Gnosticism has hit the church, this, this idea of this hidden knowledge. And the church has moved, moved into this in a greater way in, in recent decades. And it happens in the form of new prophecies or visions or dreams that, that God gives to certain privileged people, so you better listen to them. Me listening to someone speaking this, oh, just, just, just wait, I'm, I'm just getting hit by this from God. He's just speaking to me, and, and, and then, then they say something like that. Be careful of these kind of things. Who's it giving glory to? Is there a call to repentance? Is there a call towards holiness in the message? And we have to be careful and reject these kind of things because we don't see these activities in the Bible. You see, one of the bedrock doctrines that we have when it comes to the word of God, one of the doctrines that came out of the Reformation is the sola scripture, scripture alone. We believe in God's word and in scripture alone. It is the understanding that we have that all that is necessary for us to live a life of godliness, to live a life of faith, to live a life in in relationship with God and with others is all found in the completed work of Christ. It is the understanding that the Bible is the revealed word of God, and that's what we hold on to. But these things, people might say, but they help my faith. I came in so down, and now I'm so up, and i am so been so moved emotionally. Folks, faith comes, Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through the word of God, and standing and living on those truths, not through a man, not through pondering some sort of experience or a symbol or something like that, having some sort of supernatural, almost out-of-body experience. That's not how faith comes. It comes through the Word of God. And any time a church starts to drift away from the preaching of the Word of God, it drifts into idolatry, and it's dangerous. God's Word is authoritative. It is sufficient It is sufficient. We don't need further revelations when it comes to God's word. That's how cults get started when there's new revelations, new prophecies. We don't need a song. We don't need a building. We don't need a certain preacher or emotional experience in order to worship. We worship Jesus because Jesus has already been, God has been revealed to us through Jesus in the word of God. But in so many ways, we kind of have a 7-Eleven microwave, put it on the credit card, get it now kind of culture. No, the Christian life is one about obedience, obedience over a long period of time, moving in the right direction, honoring God, getting to know the word of God. But we want it so quick. I heard a stat this past week. I hope it's wrong, but not sure. It it may be very, very, very true that 97% of professing Christians who attend church week in, week out, have never read the Bible from cover to cover. We don't know the word of God. And God's word at times is tough. There's confusing parts. Even Peter at one point says, I find Paul hard to to, to figure out. 
But when we take the confusing parts and we believe also that Scripture is sufficient and that Scripture interprets Scripture, that when we are going through a, a difficult passage and it's hard to read or hard to figure out, that as you continue to keep reading, as you study God's Word, it answers that question that we have. God's Word is sufficient. We need to get to know the Word of God. And I'm encouraged that, that there are many of you started out the new year with, with reading the Word of God, going through a reading plan, but just don't make it a checklist in your life. I've fallen behind in mine, I think for a good reason. I'll maybe get through it, you know, maybe a month delayed or something, but there are times I, I just don't want to race through it and just do the check mark. I, I want to be able to study it. I want to be able to marinate on the truth of His Word and allow His Word to, to do a work in my life. So sometimes that means more study happens, or I find one of those parts that, whoa, what was this all about? And so I need to do a little extra study and in, in researching that. It's not just important to get through the Word of God. It's important to have the Word of God get through us. That's where the power and the strength is because we open ourselves up to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit does that work in and through us, giving us the power and strength in our lives. Oh, may we fall in love with the Word of God and to see the value and, and, and that it is a good thing that leads us to a proper understanding of his word. And then second of all, here, back to Exodus chapter 20, we see idols are more dangerous than we can imagine. Look at in verse 5. It says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Another word for jealousy there, for the word jealous is zealous. He's zealous in pursuing us. He wants an exclusive love with his children. Idols are more dangerous than we can imagine. Remember last week when, when I talked about that conversation Charlotte and I had in the church parking lot when we were just starting to spend time together and I officially asked her out to, that we would be boyfriend and girlfriend and kind of make this relationship, yeah, we're going to do this, you know, and, and, and we kind of went on from there. How do you think it would have went for me if, you know, a few weeks later she would have walked into a room and she opens the door and she sees me kissing another girl? And... We get caught, and I'm kissing this other girl, and, and Charlotte's like, uh-huh, what's going on here? And I drop the other girl, and, and, and I end up saying, well, Charlotte, I mean, I, she's so much like you. I mean, she's got hair and feet and um, eyes and, and most of her teeth and, and or all of her teeth. And, you know, and, and the whole time, Charlotte, while I was kissing her, I was thinking of you. You know, I, I, I was thinking of you. She just reminded me so much of... Well, now my ex-girlfriend, Charlotte, and as if this girl is going, you know, exclusivity, right? God is jealous for us in the same way that we are jealous as, as, as husband and wife for one another. Exclusivity of our love. Not going to a false image, someone who reminds me of God. Let's go to the real, the real image of God. Let's worship him. We don't need the substitutes. We don't need these other things. We have Jesus. We worship him. And so, as we continue on here, uh, I'm going to keep reading. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Wow, that's serious stuff. When one generation rejects God, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, you see this with Israel, so did the next generation. And the next generation. And we folks 
have an opportunity. Every generation, every one of us has an opportunity to shape the succeeding generations for the better or for the worse by the actions that we take and the lives that we live. What is that old saying? The apple doesn't fall far from what? The tree. Children absorb our values. And and they won't do what we say. They'll do what we do. We can say the right things. But when we worship our job, our money, our hobbies, don't be surprised if your children end up doing the same. And every generation takes things a step further. And it's usually not towards the good. Our actions will affect the next generation. God's word is very clear here. This is serious. I love this statement. I've held on to it for years. And it's so true. Water can't rise above its source. Simple gravity. But children sometimes can. Children can rise above the source. And God is clearly showing his mercy here. Our actions will affect the third and the fourth generations after us if we decide to worship and pursue our own gods and not the one true God. But there's also some good news here in verse 6. True worship results in blessing. Look at verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Folks, this is... This is a statement here that when we love God and when he is our one and only God, that thousands of generations are blessed beyond us. God will bless a thousand generations after us. Even there, don't you just see his love and his mercy? For those who reject him, it's three or four generations. For those who love him, it's a thousand. That's pretty good math. That just shows his love and his mercy and his desire to pursue us. God will bless our lives as we pursue him. God is happy to pour out his grace and his mercy to change a life, to change a family. That's the Father's heart. That's what he desires. Folks, the only cure for idolatry is a fervent love for God. No substitutes, no fakes, no counterfeits. The word of God in our pursuit of Jesus. There is a blessing upon blessing to a life that rejects idolatry and worships God and God alone. There is a blessing upon a life for a life that strives to know God through his word. One that strives to worship in spirit and in truth. A blessing to a thousand generation. That's grace. That's God's amazing grace. Let's bow together in prayer. I'd love for you to take a few moments and even spend some time examining your own life. Not the lives of those around you, but your own life. And to ask, let's be asking ourselves these questions. Have I limited my knowledge of God by what I like to think about God than what his word says? Are there idols in your life? Repent of those idols as you ask God to show you. Search me, O God, and search my heart.
And what did Israel, what was the response that God gave of what they were supposed to do with the idols? Smash them. Smash them. Maybe there's some idol smashing that needs to happen. Pray that God would deliver us individually as families, as a culture here in this city, in this region. So many idols all around us, things we bow down to. Maybe it's our work. Maybe it's our lifestyle. We just kind of think that we go and we plan the course of our life and do what we want, and then we ask God to throw a little angel dust of his blessing upon it. It's so, so backwards. Maybe we need to confess that we've taken the easy road and haven't studied the word. We haven't placed ourselves in accountability with other believers to be known and to know others, to walk with one another. We put so oftentimes our own lives. I mean, one of the biggest idols that I face is Melden Lutzer, myself, my schedule, my ambitions, my plans first. And then I ask God to bless them. God, get on the same page as me. Bless me. That's idolatry. It's wrong. God, I want to seek you first. Fill my life up with you every day, every morning. Be a person who just gives ourselves to you. God, I pray you would do a work in each one of our lives. That we would would deal with these idols and just see the blessing that comes from a love and a pursuit of you and all-out abandon. Oh, it's not going to be easy. Jesus, you told us that we will have to take up our cross. We will need to follow you. It, it, and, and carrying a cross is an easy work. You can only imagine. Can't imagine. It's going to be tough. But the rewards? Out of this world. A thousand generations? That's speaking of eternal blessing that is ours as we pursue you in this way. May we do it with full-out abandon this week.